This week on Retronauts, we dine on fuzzy pickles and trout yogurt. Everybody, this is your host Bob Mackey for a brand new episode of Retronauts, and today's topic is Earthbound. Finally, I've been biding my time, but after three years of doing this podcast independently, it's time to talk about Earthbound. And I have a great group. Let's talk about who's here today. First, across the table for me, first-time guest on Retronauts, Andrew Goldfarb. Hello, Andrew. Andrew, where do you come from? Uh, I'm currently at IGN. IGN. And Andrew's a lot like me in that he started in uh, games journalism, then he left for a publisher, and then he came crawling back. <laughs> yep. um, I don't know if you're anything like me. I was like, oh, this is, I, I'm better at this other thing, so I just uh, I just want to do this again, you know. Who else is here today? Uh, Michael Grimm. And it's Michael's first time on the podcast. And Michael, where might people know you from? Uh, I'm generally on Laser Time podcast every okay. now and then. Yeah. And do you, do you have a workplace you might want to mention, or is that top secret? Uh, work at Wikia. Okay, cool. Yeah. They technically, provide, technically oh. Grimm is a former one-upper. That's true. That's true. He was, yeah. uh, I guess, I'm guessing an intern. I was, yeah. Okay, yeah. News, newsy intern preview. Uh, I'm guessing, yeah. well, were interns paid back then, or were uh, they not paid? Um, funny story. <laughs> uh, do, I got, do, do I owe you money? <laughs> <laughs> I believe I worked for six months and did not get paid during that time, but then because payroll was messed up, so oh. I got six months of pay at the end of six months. That sounds like uh, that sounds like games journalism. <laughs> it's pretty great. Uh, I didn't get paid for five weeks when I started at 1UP, and uh, yeah. that's, that's kind of normal. Uh, who else is here uh, while we're throwing people under the bus today? <laughs> it's Ray Barnholz. And Ray, uh, we know who you are. Yeah. Anything, anything in the works right now? Anything we need to know about? No. But you still, st- you still sell Scroll Magazine, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Everyone reads Scroll, scroll.vg. Again, today we're talking about Earthbound, and um, it's another one of those retronauts where we're returning to an old topic. The last time we talked about Earthbound was in 2009, and the the circumstances behind that episode did not make for a great episode. Yes, Ray, I'm judging an episode I was not on, but you were on. I was on it? I don't <laughs> yes, remember. Yes, you were. Actually, I re-listened to it. It is, it is the episode that happened right after there were massive, massive layoffs at 1UP. Like, okay. Maybe 60% of the company was uh, gotten that rid of. right out of me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm, those were dark days for everyone, and you can, kind of, you can kind of tell based on the lack of enthusiasm. I don't blame anyone for being unenthusiastic after watching all their friends leave and wondering, like, what's going to happen to me next. But uh, this is independent. No one's getting fired after this, so don't worry no one was fired before this so we're going to talk about a great game <laughs> and uh what i want to talk about really is maybe you're an outsider uh it's possible you've never played earthbound that's cool but people are just nuts about this game i mean uh I, just the cult status is what elevated it to what it is today which i think is kind of universally beloved there was this weird little oddball underdog but now i think people understand like oh no this is really great and we were kind of weird and and maybe we didn't know quite what it was at the time. So before we get started, I do like to talk about the origins of uh, the subject at hand. So um, I did an episode about the first game, Mother, and I should mention uh, Earthbound in Japan is called Mother, and Earthbound, uh, the SNES one we got, is actually Mother 2. So that might clear up some things you might be confused about if we keep saying Mother and you're like, what are they talking about? So the first Mother game came out for the uh, Famicom in 1989, and uh, like I said, I did an entire episode about this for Retronauts Micro about a year ago. I don't want to talk about it too much here because I covered it in about 12 minutes, but essentially it is sort of like a dry run uh, for Earthbound. Have you guys played Earthbound Zero, Earthbound Beginnings, or Mother? There are many names for this, but it is available on the Wii U Virtual Console. Bafflingly. Bafflingly, yes. Uh, Nintendo did translate it. They held onto that translation and they released it, uh, was like 24 years later, I guess. Um, 
I've said my piece about it. Do you guys have any thoughts about the first Mother game? It, it definitely does feel like a rough draft for Earthbound. Mm. I mean, I've, I've never finished it, but I've played through the first couple towns, and it's like even Nintendo's design obviously inspired what NES became, and, and you can kind of see it in everybody, but it it lacks the heart, I feel like, is, is my experience with it. Um, it definitely has like a, a little bit of the the kind of general thematic similarities you would expect, yeah. but uh, yeah. I don't know. For me, it just doesn't grip me. Yeah, it has a lot of the same music, a lot of the same ideas. Earthbound uh, or Mother 2 does feel like a remake uh, compared to what came before. Uh, Michael, did you have any thoughts about this? I only really played around with an emulator. Mm. But, N- yeah. not Didn't get very far? Nah. I don't blame really. you. It's, it's a, uh, the main problem with the game is just random encounters, and I played it maybe in late 90s or whatever, whenever that first leaked fan translation came out. Actually, actually, the leaked Nintendo translation came out in the late 90s, and I played through it. And I went back to it. I was like, I can't be that bad. And like every three steps, mm. random battle, every three steps. It is so wearying. It wears you down, Ray. It's, have uh, you have you played any 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 of this at all? Yeah, or? you know, I, I, I was on top of Earthbound because I was so hyped for the original game when it first showed up in like Nintendo Power when they were going to release it. They had, like, two screenshots in Nintendo Power, and it's like, oh, this is called Earthbound, and this is going to come out, and it's kind of like a modern-day RPG. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and then that didn't come out for, like, four years. Was that supposed to come out in maybe 91? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it mm-hmm. already looked pretty primitive, even by 1989 standards. Michael, just, sorry, do you have something else you wanted to say? Oh, I just want to say, I think it says a lot that people are so passionate about this game, and nobody really seems to care about exactly. the original one at all. No, I did play the translation, I did kind of enjoy it. I mean, I think... Uh, you do need a more open mind if you go back to it from Earthbound. You really do. Yeah. Like, I think it is sort of like one of those difficult RPGs like Dragon Quest Two that is mm-hmm. a little hard to get into and a little punishing, but it still is fun. And I recommend um, I recommend you buy this online just to show Nintendo we like Mother games. We want you to bring us more, and then download an emulator and a ROM and play with the easy uh, sorry the easy patch. It's called the Easy Ring. Look it up. Yeah. It cuts down enemy encounters. It gives you more experience, more health. It makes the game. It lets you see the content and gives you a more uh, uh, I guess modern day adjusted RPG. I have been meaning to try that. Me actually. too. Yeah. yeah, like it's. I think it's the only tolerable way to play through Mother One. If you want to know more about this game, please listen to that uh, episode I recorded about it a year ago. It's just it's just called Earthbound Beginnings. You can find it on our feed. So I do want to talk about the people behind Earthbound because Earthbound is kind of the singular, uh, the singular brainchild of a writer. Uh, I can't even pin him down to one profession. He's kind of sort of like an everyman. He's a renaissance man. His name is uh, Shigesato Itoi, born in 1948, and uh, he's a celebrity in the Japanese sense of the word. Like. You see these people on talk shows in Japan and on, like, Iron Chef-style shows, and it's just, like, they just seem to be everywhere, and they seem to be doing everything. And I'm not sure if that kind of celebrity is still a thing in Japan. It, has the internet uh, has the internet interfered with that in any way? I'm wondering no. if culture moves – okay, so it's – No, no. It's, it's made Japan. it worse, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. They've never, like, they've, they've never is... let go of that. So um, – the funny thing is, and it might not be something that we think about that often in America, maybe it's even rare in Japan, but yeah. he's he's mainly known for his copywriting skills, and that's where he got his start, really. 
And uh, that would be like, oh, he, he's the guy who wrote I'm loving it or uh, this bud's for you. Like those kind of catchphrases <laughs> are what he is responsible for. Unfortunately, they don't translate very well. It's usually like three words or, or something you're like, how are these connected? Mm-hmm. I guess this is enigmatic if you're, uh, if you're you know, Japanese and you can understand this in, based on the context in which it's presented. But um, I do have his mother to tagline and that is adults, children, and even older sisters. That is the mother to tagline and that requires explanation. Um, Based on an interview I read, uh, he was worried even in the early 90s that gaming was becoming something only nerds would enjoy. Like only people that go to gaming conventions and play games alone. He's like, no, I remember when Mother came out, my older sister liked it. I want the older sisters of the world to play a game. And I'm like, wow, this guy like was really forward thinking for, you know, a 20, 20 year old quote, 22 year old quote. So he, he had a lot. He, he was really ambitious with the idea behind Mother. He wanted it to be a game for everyone. And um, basically, uh, Satoru Iwato took this idea to heart. That was Nintendo's former president, RIP. Um, he wanted Nintendo to become that company again. That's what happened with the Wii. He's like, this is going to appeal to everyone. So essentially, uh, the Wii sort of came from uh, Itoi's uh, philosophy. If you hate the Wii, then you might hate him, but please don't, because he's pretty cool. And basically how this came about, this pairing, is uh, Shigesato Itoi came to Nintendo for the initial pitch for the game Mother. Uh, I guess he was doing copywriting for Nintendo, writing their catchphrases, writing their slogans and stuff like that. Um, Miyamoto, Shigeru Miyamoto, I don't need to explain who that is, of course. Uh, He liked the idea, but he was skeptical. This was an era in which lots of celebrities were just sticking their faces on crappy games. So he's like, Miyamoto was like, if you're going to work on this game, you're going to work on the game. So he would bring him like text adventure documents, like study this, study how to make a game and Itoi did not even use a computer at the time so essentially mm-hmm. he wrote all of the dialogue for Mother and Mother 2 by telling an assistant the dialogue who would then transcribe it and based on her reaction he would decide whether or not to keep it so even this late in the game uh, he did not know how to use a computer but he was still designing a video game maybe not the whole RPG nuts and bolts of it but actually like what you're doing where you're going who you're talking to every every word of dialogue is written by Itoi in this game and that's rare that's rare to have a, a writer come in and be the sole driving force of a game. I can't think of anything else. Can anyone else think of any other? I mean, there are there are game writers. There are guys and, and ladies who write games. That's what they do, and that's all they do. But I can't I can't think of like, oh, we got a writer, and he's going to be the guy behind our no, game. Not to that scale, I yeah. think, because yeah. no one – well, I mean, no one really had the ha, has the presence of Miyamoto, for uh, one thing. Like, nobody can really <laughs> – no, nobody's really been coached to, like from Miyamoto in that sense. Really. Yeah, plus who, when who that wasn't already an employee. And when it happens in modern times, it's like you hear like, oh, like David S. Goyer is writing the Black Ops campaign. Oh, yeah, that's it's right. Like, has yeah, nothing okay. to do yeah, with yeah, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't think he's a real writer anyways. Yeah. Burn. Uh, the dark well, Clive Barker wrote all those uh, Tom Clancy games. <laughs> uh, uh, Tom Clancy's Blood Harvest. And, uh, <laughs> Operation Skull Lord. I don't know. Yeah, everything's so so rigid. Yeah, also out, out of Nintendo. So yeah, we don't we don't see That's like Stephen the Stephen King game. We don't see the um, let me think. I read Thank a lot God. of books. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, <laughs> I, I, all the all the authors are like are dead. So we don't see a lot of g- authors jumping into the world of games and making their own vision. Uh, so a few other people behind Earthbound. Uh, some of the more unsung people we have Akihiko Miura. I did it. Uh, he is the director of the actual game game of Earthbound, um, the the RPG mechanics, the actual like guts of the game. Uh, Itoi is formerly listed as director. I think uh, Maria is listed as like game planner or head planner, or whatever whatever weird Japanese title they use for something like that. Um, 
He's not the most story director, but he does appear to have gone on to have worked for uh, the successor to Ape. Ape is the developer for Earthbound, and that became Creatures Incorporated. If you want to know what that is, listen to our Pokemon episode. It's one of the many tentacles of the Pokemon octopus that's strangling the world. Uh, other games uh, he's worked on include Pokemon Trading Card Game, Pokemon Coliseum, Pokemon XD. Again, I think everyone who worked at Ape eventually just worked on Pokemon games. Um, so there is a Pokemon connection from Earthbound. Yeah, and some of those are the good RPG spinoffs, too. Exactly. Even the Trading Card Game was kind of good. I like that first one. I did yeah. like that first one. Uh, and we have some great musicians on this game. And we're going to have an entire, like, side discussion about the music with clips and all kinds of good stuff. So stay tuned for that. But we have Hirokazu Hip Tanaka, of course. We talk a lot about him on this show. He, of course, wrote... Music for great Nintendo games like Metroid, Kid Icarus, Dr. Mario, Super Mario Land. Um, he joined Nintendo in 1980, and I believe he is – is he president of Creatures Inc. now? God, I keep forgetting. But he is part of the whole Pokemon uh, machine now, I think. I'm pretty sure he is. And um, he is kind of uh, one of the two guys responsible for just the great, great Earthbound soundtrack, um, along with Keiichi Suzuki, who is basically uh, a Japanese rocker who doesn't do a lot of game soundtracks. I believe he did um, some movie soundtracks like Tokyo Godfathers, which is a great movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he's mainly known for his work in the Japanese band The Moonriders. And um, I think that's what make Earth that what it makes Earthbound soundtrack so unique because we have a video game music guy, but who does a lot of other stuff, and we have a rock and roll guy just coming in and making this this kind of sound we haven't heard before. These don't sound like SNES instruments. They don't sound like any other game on the SNES. In fact, we're going to learn why they involved a lot of stealing. But it was honest <laughs> stealing, of course. And just talking about there's so much stuff, and I want you guys to jump in with your thoughts on this because I feel like I'm monologuing here. But Earthbound has a, a crazy and tortured development history. They all um, do. <laughs> every, every one of these games yeah. does. Uh, maybe, maybe Mother 1 doesn't as much. I'm not sure, but Possibly. it's a much simpler game. Anyways, this game had a five-year development cycle. Crazy. So this and like Bioshock Infinite are on the same scale <laughs> in terms of just taking forever to release. And I'm sure this game was almost canceled as well. Uh, and Etoy claims the graphics took uh, the entire production cycle because apparently that, um, I'm not sure if you could call it uh, isometric, but yeah. it is the overhead from a certain tilted angle. I'm sure it's like diametric or whatever. Someone someone will correct me if I say isometric because I know it's not. <laughs> but I sure a, don't know. But apparently that caused a lot of problems in production, just getting everything to line up, getting the characters to look like uh, convincing moving across these landscapes and things like that. And this game started off as an 8 megabit game, but eventually blossomed to three times that size, 24 megabits. And that's because the soundtrack eventually took up that 8 megabits that the game was going to be in the first place, thanks to all the sampling and um, everything else they wanted to cram to this game. So That makes a lot of sense. It's kind of a miracle that this game released, but I think it's because Miyamoto believed so strongly in uh, Itoi and his work and what this game could be and maybe how it could be better than Mother because uh, apparently Miyamoto did – I think Mother was the first RPG he finished. He's not a big RPG gamer and he was like, I had to use the debug menu to finish it. (laughs) And Mother 2 was the second RPG he finished, I believe, and I read an interview with him. We all need the easy ring. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Even even Miyamoto did. Uh, And apparently uh, he liked Mother 2. Too, and he he was like, oh, it's surprising how you can tell stories with like text and pictures and stuff like that because he's not he's not really a storyteller. Yeah. And uh, but he was like, oh, the battles are still boring. It's just a still image. Like these aren't very interesting. But he still likes the game and likes the writing and stuff like that. But I think it's funny that even Miyamoto was just like, I don't like RPGs that much. Sorry, guys. He's like, I don't like cutscenes and narrative <laughs> and games. <laughs> He said he was impressed. The one thing that impressed him was when uh, Everdread is found uh, dead later in the game. Uh, spoilers. I think he he dies for good in that game, right? He never comes back. 
I don't, I don't think he does. Think so. He's, yeah. uh, like Miyamoto was impressed by like the the middle aged women like uh, being startled by it, just like the little the little sprites jumping. He was like, "Oh, that's so cool!" So just the little touches are what tickled uh, Miyamoto about Mother Two. <laughs> and um, of course, Mother Two is mainly known uh, for the most part, I think, for the trippy battle backgrounds. Um, Known in Japan, I think they were called video drugs or video relaxants. I guess it's like video tranquilizers because it's this soothing, repetitive <laughs> image with patterns that are rolling by. I don't so think I've heard that before. Um, my, my, this could be true. I, I'm pretty sure it is. But these were just the work of one guy, and that's all he did over the course of two years was come up with these these crazy backgrounds. It looked like something that came out of the demo scene from uh, mm-hmm. the old PC days. Like, look at all these cool things I can do with, like, cheap technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is what really stood out to me in this game. Like, oh, man, it's so cool. Like, all these, like, weird, like, ripples and patterns. And and even your all of your spells are these weird trippy designs and, pa- and patterns flying around. Uh, yeah, it's still, gonna, yeah, there's still no really RPG that even tries that. I mean, everything else back then was just, like, it's still, uh, again, a still screen. I love the idea that they hired this guy to sit in a room and just make totally normal backgrounds. And then it just reeked of pot in there. And he was like, God, they did <laughs> right. something kind of weird. <laughs> What's he doing in there? Uh yeah, I don't think they smoke a lot of pot in Japan. It's like it smells like a skunk is in there all the time. <laughs> so they do do shrooms. Just that, that is know. true. And we're gonna talk about the, all the psychedelia, psychedelia. I don't know how to say that word, but it's all it's all wrapped up in uh, '60s uh, boomer stuff. So we'll talk more about that <laughs> soon. But Itoi uh, at first wanted Mother Two to take place in outer space, but decided against it. Um, okay. And the reason why Earthbound, it all takes place kind of to scale. Like the town is not this icon you jump into and then it expands into like something you walk through. He did not like the iconography of RPGs. Mm. He wanted it to um, just all be to scale, all be represented as you're walking through. And I think that really makes the game and the journey feel bigger because it's like I've got to take a bus to another town. I have to go through this tunnel. Mm. It does feel like you're taking a big journey as a child, even going from town to town. <laughs> like the it's... fact that you get caught in a traffic jam and can't go to the next town. <laughs> exactly, like, yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. All the mundanity is great, and I'm gl- I'm glad he decided to make it all to scale. I, I love RPGs that do that, and very few do. Like Dragon Quest VIII does that, but yeah, there's still I, like a loading screen. Sorry, right? Yeah, no, I remember that. You, that point is like one of the things I brought up a lot with Final Fantasy X. It's like no, there's no real wor- world map. You just walk to the next place. <laughs> is that and something that, you, like, that you, know, you didn't like, later. or something that you did like? No, no, I liked it. No, mm. I'm just I'm saying you brought that up. Never mind. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah they, they <laughs> we don't need a world map. I, I kind of miss them in some cases, though. Yeah, um, yeah. So Mother's two battle, sorry, Mother Two's battle system, uh, which we know is the odometer that you know rolls backwards and forwards depending on what's happening in the battle. It was originally going to be a, a pachinko machine where the little tiny balls uh, yeah. would represent your remaining health. They tried to get this to work, but it just took up so much of the screen, and they were trying to move <laughs> around so many sprites at once that they were like, "We need another, we need another way to do this." But I think the pachinko thing is is too Japanese for a game that really feels like. It's trying to portray um, non-Japanese stuff. Like I don't yeah. think there's a representation of Japan in Mother or Mother Two. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think so. No. It's just very much devoted to like what's happening outside of Japan. Yeah, right. it's very Americana, which is ironic for someone who had never been to America. Yeah, exactly. It. <laughs> it, and I like how uh, we'll talk about this later, but I like how this is just like the the post-war uh, Japanese children. Um, being informed about America through media, through music, like their their view of America from like a Japan that's being rebuilt. That's what I think a lot of Mother comes from. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, Itoi born in 48, born not long after the war ended, not, after, not long after Hiroshima was bombed. So he was living in that world. And um, Satoru Iwata, again, RIP, he was Earthbound's main programmer. Uh, he entered the production in the fifth year. 
And bring he, it in the ringer. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and he him. said, if we if we do this the way you're doing it, it's going to take two more years. If we do this the way I want to do it, it'll take six months. It actually took him a year. It took him six months to reprogram everything from scratch. And then it took another six years to iron out all the bugs. But all the parts were there for him to work with. All the graphics were there, all the you know information about how battles work and things like that. But it took him to basically get the game working, get the game out the door after five years of production. And a lot happened between 1990 and, sorry, 1989 and 1994 in terms of video games. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy. I mean, you guys are familiar with, like, just how uh, Iwata was just helicoptered in and dropped off like the nemesis in Resident <laughs> Evil to, like, just fix problems. It's amazing. Like, at, the more – like, after he died, we learned so much about him that was kind of it there. But uh, after he died, there was a reason to collect this and to celebrate him as a human being. So, mm. yeah, I, just really interesting. Uh, were you guys aware of all these production difficulties with Earthbound? Had you, had you any idea that it was – I mean, it, it doesn't look like a complicated game on the surface no, right. at all. I mean, in fact, it was bashed at the time. Like, this is too simple. These graphics yeah. are ugly. I remember that was a lot of the reception at the time when it came out was, yeah, this doesn't look that good. And I mean, technically, maybe you're right, but you're wrong from a design point Mm because it looks great. (laughs) Pretty wrong. It's aged incredibly well. So now we're going to talk about the actual game. We talked about who made it and the behind-the-scenes stuff. But I want to talk about Earthbound, and I'm sure you guys will have a lot more opportunities to jump in and talk about what you love about the game. But So this game was released in uh, Japan, I believe, in August of 94. It released here in America in June 5th, 95. It, I got it yeah. opening day. That was much later in June, I remember. But again... It was like whenever the ship shows up, whenever the truck shows up, whenever the plane lands in your part of the country, that's when your game comes out. There were no universal rollouts. When I reserved this game, it was basically they wrote my name on a post-it note and stuck it behind the counter with my right, phone number. Right. There was no ticketing system even even in, in the mid-'90s. Um, <laughs> Dave's, probably... Dave's game hut was closed that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Earthbound uh, kind of rubbed a lot of people – sorry, Earthbound rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because of its marketing campaign. This was the era of like – Kids' cartoons today might be a little better, but our cartoons were a lot grosser. I mean, we had this is the era of Ren and Stimpy and Rocco's Modern Life and all the gross-out cartoons. And uh, and um, Nintendo was really embracing that that kind of attitude. And their marketing campaign was essentially, in quotes, this game stinks. Mm-hmm. And all the magazines of that era for a few months would have these inserts with the, um, with the enemies. There was like Mondo Mole and Master Belch, and you would scratch them. It would smell like feet or puke or whatever. I don't know. It, it, was, it never it just smelled like chemicals for the most part. But it made sure it was a pizza one that was okay. <laughs> oh, was the pizza one yeah. part of the ad, or was I think it just so. okay? Yeah. That might have been the only good one. But the, with the way magazines were um, put in bags back then, and I, I think they might still be now. But just like you would open the bag, it would be like opening like a sarin gas bomb, and all these <laughs> all these horrible fumes right. would come out. Like, oh my god! I don't remember that. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, I wasn't turned off by them. Like, uh, this is fine, but I, I was interested in this game to begin with. Did you guys encounter these 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 stinky ads when, when you were reading magazines back then? What did you think of it? I mean, I don't know if you were, uh, like, on the Earthbound train as early as I was. Did, did this get you interested in the game, or did you know about the game? It was weird because I was aware of it 
like I remember all those ads. I remember smelling them and being weirded out by them. But I didn't play the game for years after that. Like mm. I didn't play it until a few years after it was out because I just didn't buy that many games. Um, so it was this, and that one was in a big box and just like weirded out my parents because it looked expensive. I think. Yeah. So it was. How funny. many games are in that box, son? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but it's just funny because I remember. I do vividly remember. I had one of those tacked on my wall because I thought it was so funny that I opened a magazine. There was a thing that smelled like mustard or whatever it was. Uh, that was so bizarre. Yeah. How about you, Grim? Like, uh, this is a good chance to talk about where we met Earthbound the first for the first time, how we encountered it, what we thought about it. Well, what about you? I got it shortly after it came out. Uh, I think we waited for it to go on sale or something. But mm. it's funny because you mentioned, you know, the sort of gimmick advertising. And this is like the era of like peak putrefication where it's yes. like everything was bad and tough and cool. And They did make the, the characters slightly older looking um, from the Japanese to the American version. Uh-huh. Like Ness's hat gets turned around backwards. They don't yep. put sunglasses on him or they don't give him a skateboard. But everyone is slightly older looking in he the American version. He has ripped muscles in the American version. <laughs> what, it's what, like what American Kirby. About? What's that? American version. What are you talking of about? Mother, of Mother 2. No, I mean... What, like in the ads. I'm talking about the clay models are different between the Japanese Mother okay, 2 the and the American yeah, yeah, Mother yeah. 2. Not the actual graphics in the game, but how they're represented in the guide right. and in like promotional material and stuff like that. I was like just that. trying to yeah. think about... Yeah, no. Oh, sorry, Grim, continue. He's just got a little more definition in his abs now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. benching, you know. <laughs> but no, it's just one of those games and I think, you know, uh, I think the idea of it being a modern day game was such a huge selling point to me as a kid. For I was, me too, yeah. I was playing like Seventh Saga and stuff at the time and everything was just like fantasy, fantasy or sci-fi in Chrono Trigger's case and that was basically... Your two options. You Everyone, pick sci-fi or you pick fantasy. And then this other game was like, hey, it takes place in the modern day and you're a regular kid and you hit stuff with a baseball bat. And I was like, that sounds awesome. It's about yeah. time. I can't do that now. <laughs> yeah, I'll get in yeah. trouble. The idea of relating to a character was so foreign to me. Yeah. Like I, I played that game and I was like, oh, like I'm used to being like the kid in a green hat and holding a sword and having a shield. And like the idea of like walking through a town and going to an arcade, like totally, I didn't even, it had never even occurred to me that a video game could do that. <laughs> to be here. honest, yeah. Me yeah. too. How about you, Ray? Like, where did you hear about Earthbound? How early did you play it? Like, were you excited uh, about it initially? I don't, uh, I may have said this in 2009 or something, but I'm... It's okay, I'm going to be... I'm I got the game for my birthday, because my birthday's in June. Uh, but then uh, my mom accidentally got me Earthworm Jim from Toys R Us, <laughs> even though I already had that. So... I and I found this out by sneaking a peek in the car when she got the game before it was all wrapped and stuff, and I had to tell her that. So thank God this <laughs> mistake was corrected, and I got Earthbound just as just as intended. Was uh, this uh, early, like around release? Oh or? yeah, yeah, totally. okay, yeah. I mean, my, my birthday was like a few weeks later. Mm, cool. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, the ads did not really. It didn't occur to me when I saw them that. This was a bad way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but now it's like, geez, what are you doing? Like Nintendo is – they had such a classically bad time uh, marketing RPGs and it's so ridiculous. They did really. And I yeah. think they had a lot of Sega envy at the time. They're like Sega uh, – I mean they, they eventually won that console war with Donkey Kong Country. But uh, they were right. trying to be like, we want to be in your face like Sega. But it was so uh, tone deaf. Mm-hmm. Like Sega was being uh, rowdy with their rowdy games. Right. Even it's Sonic like... was a cute thing, but he was kind of like edgy. But with um, Yoshi's Island, the cutest, fuzziest, <laughs> most colorful game ever, the exactly. commercial was a guy eating until he explodes. 
Yeah, it's like, like, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. All that play it loud stuff was a great idea up until these cute games started rolling in. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Now we, we have to uh, make an ad where Kirby's in a police lineup and yeah. he has stubble on him. <laughs> okay. We need to rostify Kirby by about 10%. Even, yeah. even the Final Fantasy 3 slash 6 ad, the American ad, is um, a mog killing people. Yeah. Like, they're coming into his office next, to audition. Next. Yeah. Oh, and he's so gangster annoying. voice mog, yeah. He's a big cigar chomping, like, uh, gang, gang boss. Um, and so, yeah, that totally ruined Earthbound's uh, schedule, basically. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And as, as for me, uh, please uh, fast forward. I've told, this is like Earthbound story number 457 for me. Uh, yeah. But basically, <laughs> I'll repeat myself because some of you are new to the show. But uh, this is the one thing I can kind of be a hipster about, uh, as can maybe uh, like 100,000 other people. Because <laughs> I was, okay, so Nintendo Power was propaganda, of course. Yep. But uh, their RPG Watch, uh, was it called RPG Watch or? Uh, uh, Epic Center. Epic Center, thank you. Uh, they did two months of Earthbound coverage, going over everything. And it's like you said, Grim, um, the, the modern dayness of it really was like making me super excited. Like, oh my gosh, I love RPGs, but th- I'm I'm also a 12-year-old kid going on 13, like this main character. Um, yeah. I want to go on an adventure. I'm, I'm, I'm a white suburbanite like this kid. Like, it appealed to me in every way. It was total, like, wish fulfillment, even though it was a game made for, uh, you know, little Japanese kids. And, and actually, not little Japanese kids, but like Japanese families. But and older as, sisters. And older sisters, too. <laughs> but as a, a little white kid, I was like, oh, man, I want to go on a fun adventure. So I did I did reserve this game in the in the crude old way you reserve games, the post-it note system, of course. And I remember um, in 1995, I got it opening day, opening whatever, opening night of Earthbound. Uh, I paid $72.99. I remember that number. That took uh-huh. like about five weeks of mowing lawns to do that. And uh, I don't know, accounting for inflation, it's probably like $100 now or something like that. But yeah. I mean, cartridge games were expensive. But um, I remember that first night, uh, our family had like an above ground swimming pool and uh, I was just playing Earthbound, Earthbound, Earthbound. And they're like, do you want to come out and swim with us? I'm like, no. So I just like slammed the door and I cranked the AC because I had one of those window AC units. And then I played until I got to the town of Threed. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those moments where I was like, I could keep playing this game and not not sleep. But I'm like, I'm going to go to bed. I want to savor this. I like, it was the first time I, I like, I felt like I actually appreciated a game enough to not play it. So it's like, I want to, I want to stop playing. I want to think about this. Mm. It was like the, I think it was like when the first time I became like a true, like true nerd. <laughs> and from then, from then I, it was, it was hopeless. <laughs> Thank you, Earthbound. So you had the reverse of Bart Simpson situation where you're just writing mill Earthbound on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I was truly the queen of summer. Um, <laughs> So Earthbound has a very Dragon Quest style setup. Uh, it's not surprising given that's what it's kind of based on in terms of how it plays. Um, this great nebulous evil. I'm going to say Gigas. Uh, it could be Gigas. Uh, it's it's worse in I've, Japanese. I've never heard anyone say it <laughs> out loud definitively. Gig. Yeah. Is no. it like Gig? No, who the hell knows? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Gigas is like the the American transliteration of whatever it was in Japanese. So please don't correct me. There's no right way to say it. Just like there's no right way to say anything in Zelda because no one ever speaks in those games. <laughs> sure. um, I, I get corrections about that, by the way. Uh, so a great nebulous evil is attacking and this just gives uh, Itoi an excuse to come up with different scenarios that are almost unrelated. Just like with the idea like these things are being corrupted or this thing has gone wrong or there are zombies here. It's a really great way to sort of write like an improvisational sketch comedy game, it feels like. Like mm-hmm. every setting is a new sketch in a way like that has nothing to do with what came before you're you're still getting one of eight sounds for your soundstone which you need to destroy gigas but again everything is so related in one in one scenario you are fighting the street gang and then fighting the cops and and this is pre-occupy wall street so earth what is Earthbound <laughs> teaching our children uh, and, but some of the enemies overzealous cop yes like, exactly <laughs> oh boy yes uh, it, uh that's something that uh, maybe gives a little too much commentary these days <laughs> 
so yeah, and I, uh, oh, go ahead, Ray. I think that's an important point because you know this game was so inspired by like American movies and stuff like that, and you have that that sort of story progression, which is sort of like a road movie in a way. Uh, I'm trying to think, what's like a good... Stand by Me, right? Yeah, but we I'm know also Japan thinking is like, obsessed with Stand by Me. I'm also thinking of like you know like plane trains and automobiles that sort of thing where it's just you know you're moving into the, or something similar to like that where you're moving into these different funny situations through the whole movie mm. <laughs> why, why, why the center point is this kind of uh, I don't know milquetoast character yeah I mean yeah. there is there is a destination but it's not as important as what happens and that's my advice for all of you kids growing up it's not the destination it's the journey <laughs> there you go <laughs> that's bullshit <Should. laughs> I, don't, I don't think of that at all uh, so again the story is not important uh, how I view this game and you guys are welcome to agree or disagree but I think it's a celebration of the things these boomer, baby boomer creators uh, loved growing up, mostly Western things. So again, it is post-war Japan, uh, Japan figuring itself out again, uh, Western things coming over, them coming to terms with, you know, you know, becoming something different and and becoming more open and things like that. And, and we have so many things in this game that are just celebrations of the things like uh, in terms of how old we are, I assume all of our parents like too, like... John Lennon, uh, the name Mother comes from the song Mother by John Lennon. It has nothing by to do dancing. with... Oh, by dancing. That's yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> Mother! Yeah. Uh, apparently, Itoi just liked him saying, um, singing Mother. It was very powerful. He, he liked how that sounded. So I was like, let's, make, let's name the game Mother. And the first Mother had a very like weird holiday theme to it where a town was called Mother's Day. The snow town was called Christmas. Mm. One, called, one town was called Youngstown, which is my town. I don't know why they, why they did that, <laughs> but I appreciated it. And... Um, like, how, do you guys do you guys agree with me about that? Just like uh, the celebration of what these baby boomers like their their youth culture. They're, these guys were now in their thirties and forties, and just remembering what they liked as young adults. See, it's interesting. I never really thought of it like that. Oh, I really? mean, it makes sense when you say it. I just thought of it. In my case, it was just. I don't know. Japanese people are obsessed with America the same way we're obsessed with Japan. Yeah. We kind of, you know, fetishize it. Uh, they're Ameri- Maribus? Well, how would you Ameribus, say Maribus, yeah. <laughs> I, only uh-huh. listen, I only watch uh, Hard Target subbed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that's actually exactly how I've, I've always thought of it. It was almost like this, like, uh, the ultimate example of, like, what they would think of as this ideal American youth. And it's, like, yeah. this interesting, like, you go on a journey and it's almost that stream of consciousness nature of the game almost doesn't matter, but it's, like, each town you go to is like very idyllic and like by the time you leave especially like by the time you've taken care of the zombie problem in three like you've created like the perfect town everyone's happy pretty much yeah I do do see that a lot too especially with um, I don't know like there's a common theme in Nintendo games where it's just like making people happy is the underlying goal (laughs) and it is great and Earthbound does reward you with dialogue really I mean Mm -hmm. this is is a game where you want to talk to everybody even if uh, most of what they say has nothing to do with what you'll be doing you'll hear like a funny joke or a dry absurdist commentary on something which it's, is perfect for a guy who's like a copywriter that's writing like one-line zingers and taglines and yeah. stuff. Like mm-hmm. this person just needs to say two things. I can see Etoy just pacing back and forth and chain smoking and just like <laughs> have this guy talk about dung beetles. And the, the, the guy, yeah. the assistant's just like typing. That's yeah, very good. Yes. Yeah, especially <laughs> in Magicant when you're talking to all the bosses you've destroyed in the past. Where it's oh, like, yeah. It's like so dark. They're just like, oh, like you kind of ended what I was doing and now I'm just bored. <laughs> that is a really trippy part of the game. Yeah, so. Yeah, the flip side of that. This is one of the few games, like I'm so bored with RPG dialogue these days. That's why I love Dark Souls and shut up about it um, but even going back to Earthbound it's like no I have to talk to everybody in town after every event and see what they have to say and I remember all these funny jokes and it's a very dry sense of humor it's not like uh, boom bing punchline it's just like just sort of reminds me of like a old Zucker movie like Police Squad or um, mm-hmm. Naked Gun rather where it's just like these very people saying absurd things very matter of factly yeah. in, in these strange situations so I, I really like the kind of humor 
And uh, this is something that maybe only I noticed, but it's very steeped in 70s and 60s drug culture, which mm-hmm. sort of um, maybe these creators didn't have the context for those kind of references, but it was in these things they were celebrating, like the music and the art and the yeah. literature. And I think the general trippiness of Earthbound, the psychedelic backgrounds, were the product of that drug culture. Maybe the, the creators of Earthbound didn't care about the actual drugs, but they just like what the drugs fueled, this, this crazy art and these, these weird trippy ideas. Yeah, it is very hippie. retro hippie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you do beat up hippies yeah. in this game. Uh, any Trump fans out there, you might want to play Earthbound. <laughs> uh, so, and again, uh, another thing is that uh, Peanuts, I think, is the real inspiration for how this game hmm. looks. Like, I cannot think of a more timeless post-war uh, American thing than the comic strip Peanuts. Just the way the characters look, the way the world is portrayed. I mean, there are adults in Earthbound. They were not killed in the pe- like they were in the Peanuts verse. Uh, that's just my theory. It doesn't have to be yours. I assume they have some kind of children of the corn <laughs> scenario. But uh, yeah, like um, there's a very pig pen style character you'll meet. Uh, he's one of the random townspeople. He pops up a few times and, and he's got the dust cloud and everything. So mm-hmm. I think it's very cute. I, I, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on the, the peanutsness of the game, but it, it ties very much into post-war uh, pop culture. These pop cultural touchstones for people who grew up post-World War II were born into the, the world after the war. That makes sense. I mean, Snoopy is one of those American characters that were became deified in Japan. That's true, yeah. And there are a lot of Snoopy games in Japan. Yeah. But as we were saying, uh, why I think all of us really latched onto Earthbound, and it's still rare today, and we had an episode about this topic, it's a modern-day RPG. And what I don't like about modern-day RPGs uh, is when they half-ass it. It's like, oh, it's a modern-day thing. Here's a sword. You know, like, oh, it's a modern-day thing. Fight a goblin. Like, no, no. Even if these things are just text, like, they just typed in baseball bat instead of sword. Right. What if the goblin is a shift manager Best Buy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, even if they just, even if they're just text, but everything ha- has like an RPG corollary, like a medieval corollary. So the, instead of having like a bank like run by some Dragon Questy guy, you have ATM machines. You have to use an ATM card. You get an allowance by fighting monsters. Uh, just like in, in in the modern world, your dad is gone. <laughs> no, that's not true for everybody. Uh, but calling your dad saves the game. So yeah. you're using a phone instead of you know talking to a priest. You're using a phone to call your mom, to call your dad, to call to get pizza delivered to call to get um, things picked up by Escargo Express, which I was typing this out today and I'm like, did I just get the Escargo Express joke? Is this the first time? It's like, oh, I get it because it's a snail and they're not fast, but... Okay. And they're faster than mock pizza. That's, the other yeah, yeah. that's true. Mock pizza. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even little things like homesickness is a status ailment. That's yeah, so, like, right. I love... Just little tiny touches just make this game so perfect. I love the homesickness thing so much, but it is also... Uh, it, it, they stop doing it like halfway through the game, but like it pops up unexpectedly like Ness doesn't feel like fighting now. It's like, yeah, I have yeah. to walk home. I have to either walk home or like use the phone and call my mom but if you go home you get like special dialogue she's like yeah. oh looks, mm. you look so sad it reminds me of Pokemon so much they did that too because your mom is in your house in Pallet Town or whatever yeah. and it's like you can always just go back and say hi to mom and you still have no dad in that game too <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I think I mean again um, the no dad thing it's a joke in the game because during the credits um, every character gets their own like little credits like they have the, the sprite and the name under mm-hmm. them and like Ness's dad is the ringing phone and I think this is just the, the salary man uh, lifestyle that became like commonplace in Japan after the war and I think Itoi's dad was always gone and um, I think that is what the current generation is sort of rebelling against in a way I, I'm reading a lot about like Japanese youth are no longer you know they don't want this kind of these kind of entrenched cultural ideas anymore like the salary man like working yourself to death and things like that really um, that's not fun they don't want to <laughs> <laughs> it, it, eh, you get to smoke a lot of cigarettes I guess <laughs> 
And, get, and drink a lot, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why the battle, battles are going to be pachinko. Yes. <laughs> but you also get to feel no love, and some people want that. Um, so, again, no fanciful modes of transport. Okay, okay you, you, do get, you do get a UFO eventually, but you travel by bus. You travel by bike, which, again, comes in the Pokemon games. Um, mm-hmm. you, yeah, it's like it's very mundane. This game is all about depicting the mundane, but in, in this way you could never wrangle with it in your child life. Like, I can't yeah. actually – I was such a sheltered suburban kid. Like, getting on a bus was a scary idea for me. Like, oh, where's, where's the bus going? I don't know. But, like, I could imagine myself, like, walking around, like, just exploring neighborhoods and, like, finding things and, like, meeting friends. And it just – that's what appealed the most to me because I could project myself onto these characters. And um, I, I feel like it hit me at the exact right time. I was the exact right age. I was the ages of the characters. And they came from the same suburban kind of world that I did. I don't know right. if you guys kind of grew up in the suburbs as, as well as I did or um, like I did. Or is that true or no? Or Yeah, for me. Yeah. Suburbs, yeah. I grew up in the mountains, but... I was, you know, I played this game and it's like, oh, the church across the street. Maybe a magic bee will be down there. And I can start my adventure. <laughs> he never showed up. Not he so much for me. Up, yeah. But so, uh, I did appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I grew up in the suburbs of Pittsburgh and uh, actually there was weirdly an arcade like kind of in the middle of a small town that looked terrifyingly like the arcade where you fight Frank, like to the point where I was like, oh, this is weirdly my life. <laughs> did you go to the back and fight the gang leader? Yeah, and I yeah. beat up some guy and turned out it didn't work out very well. Uh-huh. Pulled a burger out of the trash. He came to his senses though, so... That's what's important. talk about the battle system we talked about it briefly but it's very dragon questy but it's gussied up a bit um we have an odometer uh for every character that sort of dials back and dials forward depending on what's happening so let's say an enemy delivers a fatal attack the screen starts shaking that character is going to die but if you can get to that character before their health ticks down to zero you can you can save their lives so by hitting some... them with the hot dog yeah, exactly yeah. just, just like so... shoving food in their mouth <laughs> it's like really stressful too because it's like in that moment you have to calculate like okay am i going to go offense and try and beat the enemy before the counter goes down yeah. or should I try healing but if I'm going to try healing like what order is this character going to going to act in so I have to like factor in speed like I always get super stressed out in those moments. <laughs> it's a tiny it's a tiny little uh, dose of real time to this this turn based battle system that I love mm-hmm. a lot and you're right you have these choices you need to make not all the time but it still is like that tiny bit of stress like oh I have to act now which does not happen in a lot of turn based RPGs yep. and um, the other thing this game does and this should have been like law for RPGs after Earthbound. <laughs> that is, you win battles automatically if you're strong enough. Yes. Yes. And yeah. that is amazing. It saves you so much time, lets you grind easier. It takes out the middleman of grinding. It's great. And another thing I love is uh, the fact that enemies run away from you on the map when you're too strong. So mm-hmm. the greatest thing in our Earthbound, I think, the most fulfilling thing is like, I've, I've killed the boss of this dungeon, I'm leaving the dungeon. Everything is running from me. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to destroy all of them and get even more experience. Like, it is so fulfilling. And um, I don't know why no other RPG has done this. It baffles me. Like, this was 1994 in Japan. 
no one is doing this. If they are, I totally missed it. But like every time it doesn't happen in an RPG, I'm like, oh, I have to fight. I have to fight all these level one slimes, and I'm level fifty. Yep. <laughs> Leave me alone. Yeah. yeah. What I like is I, I the fact that you can just you know you uh, run up behind them and you get a more of a sneak attack on them. Am I right? Right. That's true. Yeah. 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 Okay, sorry. If, if you run up behind them, you get the uh, the green swirl, and if, yeah. they, if they get you, you get the red swirl, and then yeah. So because of that, like I still do that instinctively with any other RPG that has uh, non-random battles. <laughs> <laughs> like I'll play Dragon Quest Eight and just try and sneak up on them from behind all the time, even though that's not really. You know what? I think game. I'm trying to do that too. I'm just yeah. like, this, no, this has to work, right? This yeah, will, this will yeah. help me in some way, and maybe it does in some games. But um, have you have you guys been disappointed in other RPGs just because like this idea is there? Why is no one else using it? It's not copyrighted. There's no patent on yeah. this good idea. Like yeah. it, it just makes so much sense. I'm sorry, I'm talking for everybody. Let me know what you think about this idea. <laughs> no, I mean I totally agree. I, I I'm excited about Earthbound. If you couldn't tell, I find myself in RPGs doing the same thing. I'm like annoyed when I'm level like 75 revisiting a dungeon fighting level one enemies um and it's weird because like i traditionally don't like first person battle systems like i i, I want to see my character a lot of the time but i feel like in this game it works really well because of the odometer i think like the yeah. fact that you're not seeing sprites for your characters but you do have sort of this representation of um of what's happening i think for me the weird thing with the kind of the overworld stuff is a, i'm also surprised people haven't taken just the easy visual cue of green red or just kind of yeah. the standard blue yeah. Because even just uh, in terms of coming up behind enemies, like like there are a couple like Persona does that a little bit where you get like the first strike exactly. and you come up behind them. Yeah, that's but, the other game I do it instinctively. <laughs> but it's just really nice getting that like, oh, the screen's green. I did it. Like yeah. whereas in other games you have to wait until the battle actually begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the whole red green kind of metaphor is does fit with the modernness of the game. It's like a stoplight. Just like those are mm-hmm. colors you you know from and this it's modern an odometer world. on the battle screen. That's it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. a road movie. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it would have been so much worse with Pachinko. I'm glad they didn't make that decision. <laughs> is so, Pachinko like is that a playable game where like you can influence what happens. I think you can you can actually adjust. <laughs> Not so much when Maybe the not. balls are fed into the machine. Isn't that correct? Yeah, you can modify the force of you know how many how, of the balls being shot out. Mm. But and like after that, you don't have much control. Yeah, just yeah. watching it make its path and right. hoping it lands wherever it's supposed to. I've only played it in the Yakuza games, and I still don't get it. Like, okay, now right. why is there a slot machine happening now? Like, I don't get this. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, like, not to get too far ahead, but you, you can tell that he liked that idea because of the rhythm-based stuff you see in Mother 3 later. Oh, yeah, He yeah. clearly liked having some degree of influence on what's happening. And I think this is a huge step over Mother 1, not just because of that odometer, but because you also get those great visuals. And uh, we'll talk about music soon, but you get so much music in these battles. Yeah. That's another thing that I think all RPGs should do. I think Tales does a pretty good job. The Tales of series at least has like four or five battle songs that change. But yeah. Earthbound has, I don't know, maybe like 20, 24 different battle themes. Depending on the kind of enemy, depending on where you are in the game, you're never going to hear the same battle theme too much. And it's like they recognize these common RPG problems so early, but no one else is. Like I can't stand when an RPG, a 60-hour RPG like Bravely Default, for instance, they have they have the battle theme and they have the boss theme and right. maybe the final yeah, battle yeah. theme. It's like, no, I want more music. Music. You can take the other music away and give me more battle themes. I'm going to be spending half of the game in battle. It's also sound effects. Uh, yeah. The, the funny thing with Earthbound is you can blindfold me and I know exactly what's happening in those battles because you know the distinctive uh, when you get a smash hit or you know like when there's a mortal damage or, or anything like that. Like you you can s- identify what's happening so easily. And, and they're I, very satisfying sound effects. Oh, like, the yes. <laughs> <laughs> when, like when you get a, yeah. like a brutal hit and just the, all the uh, the different noises the enemies make too. Mm-hmm. Like each of their attacks is like a distinct sound effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That 
that even if you're not seeing animation, you can kind of imagine what's happening or like what they're doing. You're even being, items. You're yeah. entranced by the Winamp visualizer in the back. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. it, really, it really whips the llama's ass, apparently. <laughs> so we'll be back after this commercial break and talking about all of the great music in Earthbound. We're back, folks, and before we start talking about the music as a whole, I think Ray had something to talk about in terms of uh, the battle music. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, I just want to say that it was funny how that all that battle music is not very uh, exciting. It's mm. all kind of has this tone of, oh, I got to fight now. <laughs> <laughs> and even, like we were saying, also the sound effects are all like that way. Like, even, yeah. even the encounter sound effects, like, oh, boy. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. There, there's some fun uh, There's some fun battle music. I like the I like the uh, the new age retro hippie music. Mm-hmm. I like I like that whatever Johnny B. Good yeah. ripoff they have. I like the rambling evil mushroom, a little ditty. <laughs> there's some fun and catchy music. A lot of it is just like made to I, feel you, made to make you feel uneasy, like just yeah. ominous and like yeah. sound effects and just kind of like repeating samples and things like that. Really like weird time signatures and something too. Just like that. There's that one that goes like do, mm-hmm. do, 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 beep. Yeah. yeah. That, that was a beautiful rendition. I sure you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> and but. I think I know what you mean. Like it feels like the song stops and then it starts again. Like mm-hmm. it, like out yep. of nowhere, like, whoa, what was that? Like I think it's when you're fighting robot enemies or whatever. But I do want to talk about the music and we should talk about um, maybe one of the reasons why Earthbound didn't come out uh, again s- until 2013 uh, is because this game – We'll talk about how good the music is, and that should be self-evident based on how much we've been gushing about it. But a lot of this music came uh, from sampling, heavy, heavy sampling. And I guess the way the SNES sound chip works is that are all of the instruments uh, samples, Ray? In terms of, I don't uh, think so. I, th- I thought there was like a I'm library. Super of s- expert. Okay, I, I thought I assumed there was a library of samples, but then you could also build your own. You know, you can also build the, build them into the game itself. But this game, I mean, I can say that the Super NES is better with that sort of digital yeah. sampling. They could not do this on the Genesis. As yeah. much as we make fun of the Genesis, they could not have done this on the Genesis. But this game relied entirely on samples to build its unique soundscape. Again, nothing sounds like this on the Super Nintendo. Even when it's not dipping into 60s music and 70s music, even when it's creating its own thing, it's like, I've never heard these instruments before on a Super Nintendo. Like, it's crazy. So these composers, uh, sorry, Hip Tanaka and Keiichi Suzuki, they borrowed a lot from existing songs. So I'm going to play a few clips for you guys. These are all online. I'll link to to this article. It's from... uh, Earthbound Central, I think uh, Clyde Mandolin's old Earthbound website, but he's listed like here are all the ways that Earthbound in some ways subtly, in some ways explicitly steals steals? No, samples from old music and maybe, I know Grimm's a big music head as they call them. That's, that's maybe, correct, yeah. Maybe he can tell us about like uh, sampling and stuff after we listen to a few. I'm just curious as to what the legality is, sure. what the loopholes are and stuff like that. Yeah. So. So first we have Moonside's music. We're, we're going to hear a little a little bit of this and just to hear what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. 
that's essentially Moonside's music. There's not a lot of it. It's kind of just a very short loop. And here is uh, the Rick Ocasek song, Keep On Laughing, the intro to this song. So as you can see, they were not very shy about like, oh, I like this, I like how this sounds. This would be good for this level of this game. This would be good for this scene of this game. And there are a few more that are pretty interesting. We also have the um, Jackie's Cafe in Moonside, and I'm pretty sure these things are in the public domain, but they are still in this song. I'm not sure what the legality is, but they're present in the song. So this is the Jackie's Cafe song. It's very unearthly. It's very weird and drunk. <laughs> so even if you're not thinking about sampling, you probably picked out a few of what was happening. One is incredibly, um, incredibly obvious, and that's um, this song. We should all know it as uh, true and honest Americans. Yes, that's our... Oh, wait. <laughs> the national anthem. There we go. So that is just that song isolated. I'm, I don't think you can get in trouble for ripping off uh, the national anthem, but... And then another song is, is mixed into that. So Jackie's Cafe is meant to evoke a very, like, old, old American-y, uh, like, kind of feeling, and that's why this song's included as well. So if you're not a thousand years old, uh, this is the theme to uh, our gang. That's the Hal Roach series of um, shorts. They're they're also syndicated as the Little Rascals. I assume they have not been on TV in like 30 years. Yeah. But uh, Michael, can you talk about uh, what sampling, the legality of sampling is, and, and things like that? Yes, as a guy who just passed the bar, I'm really qualified <laughs> to talk about this. But, are you are you a musical lawyer? <laughs> I mean, a lawyer who sings. I represent BMG. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I mean, I think historically the last album that got away with not having to clear any samples was uh, Paul's Boutique. I, I heard, forget what year that came out. I think that was 1989. 89, okay. Yeah. So this came out significantly after that. So hmm. I'm not sure. Cause, I mean, I understand that, you know, you have to clear a sample of a song, obviously, and you pay the artist to do that. But I'm almost certain this is caught up in the video game world of Rick Ocasek has no idea what a Super Nintendo is or Kaiji yeah. Suzuki is. <laughs> it's weird, though, because... I don't know the actual specifics of how long this was held up because of that because I know that's like the kind of urban story or whatever or urban legend that, you know, this is why this game, you know, took so long to get ported to Wii U or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we'll ever know uh -huh. I, because, I mean, there are, there's Beatles stuff in there and, I'll, and I'll, play, I'll play one of these samples soon. But, I, like, I don't know what kind of backroom negotiations had to take place in order to get this to happen. Like, or, again, if it was like, I, these people will never know. Paul McCartney's not checking the Wii U shop, like, mm -hmm. at home, you know. Like, he's, they didn't know about Earthbound 20 years ago. They're not going to know now. And we I, have to, Yeah, I oh. do think it was just a case of, like, okay, let's just do this and not say anything yeah. and just make our fans happy. <laughs> yeah. So I, I forgot what I was going to say, but what I want to talk about now is just like you, he stole basically uh, – he's like a Prometheus. He stole the fire from the gods and by that I mean he stole <laughs> Beatles music, which is – you were not supposed to do that. The mm. Beatles music was the most precious. When they when they put it on iTunes in 2009, they're like, you can finally have the Beatles music. Yes. I was like, well, I clicked the torrent and I got it all in five minutes. So <laughs> yeah. screw you, Beatles. You've got your money. But um, Ringo. So this is the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band rep reprise. Reprise? How do you say that? 
I don't know, reprise. Uh, and this is what it sounds like on the album. One, two, three, four. And if you played Earthbound, this should sound all very, very familiar. So here is the Earthbound version of it. So that is the Earthbound song called uh, Megaton Walk, and that is mm-hmm. the Dungeon Man theme when he's when he's your party member for about like two minutes in the yeah. game. <laughs> but again, it is. Uh, I don't think they were considering it ballsy to do this. I think they're just like we like this song. We want to have something that sounds like this in the game. But I consider this incredibly ballsy, just in terms of just like how protective the Beatles were of their music yeah. and still are. It's like if you want to license a Beatles track, you need to pay out the nose. You need like a half a million dollars if you want the original track in your in your show or movie. I feel I like if this ever would like. Come up like legally, they would just do the vanilla ice defense where he's like, Their song goes, my song goes, I almost wonder if they just didn't think about it, right? Like, I wonder if it's just a bunch of guys in Japan in a room who were like, oh, this sounds cool, and it just kind of got. I mean, Hip Tanaka is like number one, I'm sure, Beatles fan in the all of video game industry, basically, and especially you know, the Japanese loved him for sure. And I think Hip Tanaka was just a guy who absorbed all sorts of music. Mm-hmm. And that's why really he, he, he's so much, uh, I think, much more interesting than Koji Kondo or somebody because he just expanded, you know, the breadth of everything he did. Yeah. And so, of course, he's going to uh, pluck from the Beatles. Yeah. And Suzuki as well. And just like Hanna-Barbera cartoons, I think the history of early video games is built on plagiarism. Like... Terminator oh, yeah. and Robocop the- <laughs> and all those movies that just became video games without permission. Like uh. Hideo Kojima would not have a career if not for plagiarism <laughs> that nobody brings up. They just think it's cute. But I mean, if, if these are all actionable things, I, I, I assume if a movie studio wanted to be like, okay – we need to get money for for Metal Gear. You stole a lot from us, like what characters look like. And over time, they've changed what the characters look like to, you know, okay, the, he can't be Richard Crenna anymore. Yeah. He's got to be this new character. Um, a Solid Snake can't be uh, Kyle Reese. Yeah. I think he's designed to look like. I mean, it is not – and I don't think it was insidious. I don't think it was like, yes, let's rip it off this idea. It was like excitable creators who have a different idea of IP and a different idea of uh, what the sharing of ideas means because we're all industrial – and sorry, we're all American capitalists industrialist, individualist, but maybe they have a different philosophy in terms of art and uh, commerce and things yeah. like that. That's just my opinion. I know nothing about the Japanese or their culture. Plus, so. you know, these guys are all whacked out on goofballs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and I have one more uh, clip I want to play. Again, Stealing from the Best, Stealing from the Beatles. This is the intro uh, to All You Need Is Love, the French uh, national anthem, of course. And this is the Earthbound song called Cross Over Time and Space. So it essentially just slowed down that part of the French National Anthem and put it on repeat for one of the creepier, more otherworldly background yeah, songs. Yeah. And I think it's funny that they could have stolen that French National Anthem from anything. It's public domain, but it's like, no, we're going to take it from the Beatles. Well, just like <laughs> how he's already loaded. Exactly. <laughs> hey, it's already in there. Well, and it's, these modern mixing boards have like a dial on it, and it's 
it changes the speed, and there's a notch on it that says legal. Oh, that's awesome. I need one of those. Uh, again, and like uh, the the naming screen for Earthbound, it's great. It's all this like weird like clips and static and sound effects, but it uses the liber- the Liberty Bell March, which is a Sousa piece. It is public domain. He's old as hell. He's dead. He can't sue you. <laughs> He's old as hell. Yes. But it uses the Monty Python version, a clip from a Monty Python episode, so you can hear the audience. It is. It's like mm-hmm. they they took the most. Um, the most uh, possibly litigious versions of these public domain songs to for use in their game. But I do want to talk about, that's not the most important thing about this music. It's cool that they built this music from existing sources, but mm. it's great music. And I've talked a lot about this. Can you guys talk about what your favorite songs are or how you feel about the Earthbound soundtrack? Andrew, please. Uh, I love the Runaway Five. It, it's like watching that performance. It's yeah. not like you oh, can Speaking cancel. of plagiarism, uh, yeah. <laughs> who do they remind you of? Anybody? Mm. Okay, Blues Brothers, <laughs> except, okay, they're not, they're the Blues uh, Quintet or, uh, yeah, 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 I mean, it's uh, they're not brothers and they're related. It's yeah. legal, please, please, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I just, I love with them and then eventually with Venus, like it, it's not like you can skip those scenes or anything. Like you are forced to watch that performance. I think that's so funny because like the game's drawing attention to how great that music is. And even though a lot of it is very heavily lifting from other things, I think, it, I don't know. I think it's so fun and it, it gives personality to that, to that world and to that game in a way that I, again, don't think I got from anything else in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Michael, how about you? How do you feel about the soundtrack as a whole? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I think after I sort of got over the G whiz, a modern day game, like <laughs> RPG, like that was the other thing when I was a kid that just really, and even now, even more so now, to be honest, like the soundtrack is, it's absolutely amazing. And like the way the music is done, as you mentioned, you know, by traditional composers or, you know, people who do regular music, it's kind of a thing to it where it's like you listen to a lot of game music and it just sounds like tick, 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 but it's like it's tracked out in a way where you can just sort of like look at it and like, you know, garage band or whatever and like, oh yeah, that's the music and this, but like there's kind of a lushness to it where it connects together like a song and like regular music and the way it's not afraid to play around with like really weird time signatures, super kind of psychedelic sounding stuff and it uses it so well to like inspire its mood. And yeah, and I agree. It's not afraid to be dissonant. It's not yeah. afraid to be to not be catchy. It's, it's, more, it's more concerned with like what kind of feeling will this evoke? I, I don't care if you're not going to remember this song. Like the intro uh, to the game where you turn on your SNES, it's just all static and then just mm-hmm. you see the UFOs attacking a gas station, this electric guitar starts wailing until it turns into all this distorted nonsense and then the earthbound thing comes on the screen with this much more clear theme. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like like you said, it, it, that guitar thing is grating. It's hard to listen to. I mean, it's cool to hear the shredding, of course, but uh, <laughs> right. but that, that theme is much catchier. It's much more soothing. It's much more like, ah, oh, I want to play this game now. And there's so much of like that little touch thing that we, you know, sort of mentioned about earlier, like, again, that's uh, the desert part where you're kind of stuck in the traffic jam. Like, that song starts with, like, the sound of, like, radio feedback yeah. of somebody, like, going through, like, a radio dial, and that's such a great, like, little touch. That's like, an amazing, it's, and it's a very yeah. tinny sound, mm-hmm. too. Just, like, it's, like, you can barely hear this radio off in the distance somewhere. It sounds like Morse code, and then, it's like, it's, you're just yeah. in this desert, and there's all these, like, radio frequencies that are getting caught up. Eh. That's a great, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, like, what is that, um... I think it's like diegetic sound. It's meant to sound like it's coming from mm. like a source within the world rather than just like it's just like music we're playing for you, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray, how do you feel about the music of Earthbound? Uh, well, you know, it's funny that some of my favorite tracks are the ones that are lifted from the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> Speaks to how good the Beatles were. Um, yeah, I mean, I think also like uh, this game might have like informed my appreciation of like electronic, ambient, and experimental music, yeah. honestly. Because like, <laughs> I think this is like a revelation that's coming to me like 20 years later. <laughs> yeah. But like I, I, I do love uh, the more ambient stuff, like some of the battle themes and uh, those ones that we just played and especially like uh, the, the lab music from Dr. and Donut's lab. Yeah. Like yeah. that's like – that's good to sleep music, honestly. 
Yeah, I, I like I like uh, again the the Beatles ripoffs. We didn't play all of the Beatles ripoffs. There's a ton of them. I'll put a link to the ones we but, listened to yeah. and other ones like. Uh, Strawberry. But here's the thing: oh, is that I what I love about Mother, I mean, excuse me. What I don't love about Mother Two, I like about Mother One, which is the more pep, the peppier songs. Mm. Wait, what you don't like about Mother Two is what you like about Mother One, right? Like the the peppier songs of Mother and Mother Two. I don't think shine as much to me as much as the the poppier sort of rockier stuff in the first game mm. that were sort of also in a way uh, there's some sort of remixes in, in the sequel as well but like the first game was definitely more um, eight bit chiptune meant to be a bit more poppier. It was meant stuff. to be like really it was like really catchy and yeah. they made that great vocal album. Yeah, I, I say album. great that that just okay I don't know I don't know if it is great but I find it. Just the cheesiest bit of it's, cheese in the cheese world. It's great. Just it's like, so good as bad. That's yeah, like this That's this good. young uh, female singer just belting out about friendship to uh, nice. orchestrated versions of NES songs. It's amazing. <laughs> right. Uh, and I and I put clips of that in that episode that I mentioned earlier. So please listen to it. But um, yeah, I think I, I kind of like the Earthbound version of those songs a lot better, Ray. Uh, yeah, of yeah. the mother one, like um, "Being Friends," I believe, is the uh, the song you hear. In the Ness's house, right? Yeah, exactly. But it is a very like it's meant to be nostalgic. Like, hey, remember five years ago? And it is. I, I mm-hmm. never played Mother, but I still kind of get goosebumps. I get that warm feeling of being home when you go to New- Ness's house. Like, I want to hear this song. I want to hear like it's very soothing. It, it it does evoke the feeling of like safety and you know family and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's true of a lot of the best songs in the game. Do that, right? Like whether whether you're familiar with the Beatles or anything, like those songs still achieve a mood that I think is, yeah. is clear to what it's going for. And even yeah. like the, you mentioned the Johnny Be Good song, uh, like that song's perfect for a battle song. I yeah, think it's, it's like, great. And, yeah. and you, it, you oh, don't yeah. hear it 90 times in a row. Like when you hear it, it works and it kind of gets you excited in that and moment. And you always see it with the most American enemies, like the hippies, <laughs> like yeah. the taxi cabs, the scalded <laughs> yep. cups of coffee, the electric guitars. The music is used very effectively because they know where to put it. Yeah. I mean, you do get some cheesy stuff like the, the uh, like there's a, wait, sorry, there's um there's the Egyptian-ish Song, I'm not a huge fan of. It's a little too on those like now, 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 now. It's it's like it's yeah, like a yeah. step away from that, but yeah. <laughs> they they still have fun with it. It's sort of like a musical version of Punch Out. They try to address uh, like the ethnicity with their own kind of weird touch. Mm-hmm. So I, I can appreciate that. So as we decided, the music is fantastic. Uh, please listen to it uh, on wherever you can. I th- I'm sure I'm sure you can buy it somewhere, but it, I think it's good outside of the game. It's very. I, I write to the Earthbound music. I read to it. It's just very soothing, and it could be con- because it's connected yeah. to my nostalgia part of my brain. But mm. it's very interesting to um, listen to. And we were talking earlier. Um, we never really experienced the soundtrack in stereo until the recent re-releases, and right. just hearing mm-hmm. the the channel separation, including like even sound effects and the way the, the the PSI spells move from the right to the left or left to the right or come in from the sides and hit the front, it's mm-hmm. just so cool. Like I, I just love how 
they were thinking about just stereo sound in an era where not everyone had a stereo TV, at least not uh, not me. Yeah, and you mentioned the instruments earlier, but you really appreciate each and every sound when you hear it that way. Oh, like, for you sure, You appreciate yeah. that like certain things start halfway through and you're like, oh, that's why it sounds like that. Yeah. So we talked a lot about the music. I do want to talk about the game itself because you're probably like, well, what is it? I mean, it is just an RPG. You do go to eight parts of the world, get your eight things, talk to people, buy your buy your items, equip them and stuff like that uh, in the modern context. And, and generally, I think um, this is my opinion. I want to see if you guys agree. I think Earthbound has a generally uh, very be- much better first half. Mm-hmm. I do like um, – I do like the lack of abilities that make your journey seem more significant. Like, I have to walk everywhere. I've got to take the bus to towns. Every town is big. But I feel that as the game stretches on, what you can do in the areas you visit gets more and more constricted. Like, the towns get smaller. It's more just, like, town right to the dungeon, less, like, you know, finding your way through. Mm. And that stuff is still fun, and there's still fun stuff to do. But I, I like the I like the art of, like, I want to buy a hamburger with ketchup, you know, to get me more hit points. But after after... 10 hours, just like, I'm just going to heal myself with a healing spell. Like, yeah. all of the fun stuff sort of becomes irrelevant uh, around the halfway point of the game when you, have a whole, when you have a whole party with all these abilities and the the places you explore aren't as big or as varied. Uh, how do you guys feel about that idea? I, I, I still like the game. I mean, I still think it's a great game, but I feel like it kind of – it gets a little less fun in that second half. First of all, how dare you? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Put your glove back on, Michael, please. <laughs> No, I think that's a pretty accurate criticism. Like the deep darkness and like sort of the stuff towards the end. Was it uh, the dinosaur place? Yeah, about lost underworld. Lost underworld. I do yeah, like how like... they change the perspective where you are like maybe five pixels. Yeah, yeah that is very cool. Yeah. And you kind of look like Nintendo, honestly. Yeah, yeah a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, those parts are not as fun. I hate the swamp. Yeah. Uh, the swamp yeah. sucks. Swamp yeah. sucks. I mean, I think part of it is that the beginning of the game is actually kind of hard. Like uh, especially leading up to like before you get PSI Rockin' finally um, those first like eight levels can be kind of hard. Like, I know a lot of people who die to the skate punks early on. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like towards the end of the game, there's not a ton of challenge left. Like, I mean, you have to keep... Like, Paula has lower defense. You have to keep her alive with less HP and things like that. But uh, Ness gets really, really strong. Yeah. And then, yeah, and you have all the PSI abilities. So After you beat Magicant, uh, oh, yeah. they level you up like a thousand times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In a symbolic way, but also in a, in a literal, literal way. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you're a better person, but now you've gained 12 levels. Yep. It's great. And, and you mentioned, Andrew, we didn't, we totally forgot to mention this, but the personal the personalization of Earthbound is very important. It's like, you name your favorite thing. It has to be weed or pizza. I'm just kidding. <laughs> or boners, whatever. Uh it's the only thing with six letters you could use. And then um, you name your favorite food, you name all your friends, and you name your pet. I mean, uh, naming your friends and your pet, uh, naming your party members, in other words, that was a normal thing in RPGs. But naming your uh, favorite food and favorite thing, um, which would come up in dialogue and things like that. It was a tiny touch, but it was cool. It was still like the plugging in the the whole Mad Libs thing. We're going to draw from this bank of words and just stick it in there. But it still felt like, oh, this is my adventure. They're talking about Well, the they also like. literally ask for the player name at a couple points yes. too, which is even weirder. Yes, like, and that's something that uh, Hideo Kojima would steal from yeah. Metal Gear Solid 2 because you put in your name in the beginning of that game. You're like, I don't know why. And then at the end of the game, Raiden looks at his dog tags. He's like, you're the player. Oh, my God. But it's like, I, I did that in Earthbound. That decade ago, Kojima, you can't fool me. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, uh, sorry, Ray, did you, did you chime in on the uh, whole, like, uh, how do you feel about Earthbound no. in terms of, like, um, the flow of the game? Do you, do you feel like the second half is weaker? Um, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, I don't really have a problem with the second half. I, I, I didn't, I never really liked all the, the mazes, all the, all the things that were kind of dungeon-like. Yeah. I think yeah. there were maybe one few too many of those. <laughs> I, I was kind of uh, on uh, board with that 
that kind of thinking for a bit, but I was playing uh, maybe three or four hours of it uh, this week just to, you know, come to terms with it and think about it in terms of, you know, the discussion we're having. And I was doing the desert maze level, the desert dungeon, and I was like, I was getting a little tired of going in circles, but then I got to the exit mouse, mm-hmm. which is this yeah. fun little thing they put in some dungeons. Like, you're probably tired of in this dungeon now. Please, please use one of my children to help you... Uh, to help you leave, please uh, never talk to me and my son again. In other words, <laughs> right? But, and the fact that it came with a guide, you know, like I think yeah. so many people who I know who are playing right. it now just find it really obtuse and, and don't know where to go, especially yeah. when it comes to saving Paula. And I yeah. think um, the fact that you always could just pull out that player's guide it came with and, and check. Yeah. I think uh, the point of the dungeon too is like the game is so colorful and bright and fun, and then you go into this drab brown pit under the earth. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's yep. really pronounced. That's true. Yeah, it's it's not as fun to look at. Uh, speaking of dungeons, though, I think it's really fun. This game is also like an RPG about RPGs in a way. It's very <laughs> self-reflective. Like Dungeon Man, uh, or I think his name is Brick Road. He's he's a dungeon designer in in mm-hmm. the real world. Like he designs real life dungeons, like with enemies in them. And um, the first dungeon you encounter with him, he's not very sure of himself. Uh, he has all these signs put up. It's like most players go to the left first, and then like mm-hmm. most players will open this box or whatever. Like he's he's testing you out, and by the end of the game, he becomes a dungeon, which is horrifying. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's an existential nightmare, yeah. but it's just like this is my this is my place in life. I will become a dungeon to fully understand what making a dungeon is like. And I, I think that's so cool. Just like there's a game designer in this game, and every time you meet him, he is thinking more about like what is the perfect dungeon. And and it, when you go inside of his body, he still has those signs. Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> He's got the yellow submarine from the Beatles in his body and things like that. So yeah, Dungeon Man's a great idea in this game that I love. And it's funny when you talk about DNA going on to Pokemon. Uh, Pokemon has a building in in red and blue. You visit where they're like, I'm the game designer, I'm the creature designer, and you're like yeah. talking to the dev team as you're climbing. I also oh, yeah. have a problem with Pokemon's dungeons. It's like, uh, <laughs> well, um, floor shit in yeah. already. <laughs> uh, Ape Incorporated is in uh, Mother 2 or Earthbound, and it's in Foresight, but you can't actually go in. It's just like planning planning for Earthbound 2 is what the sign says outside. I'm sure it's like right. planning for Mother 3 in the Japanese version. Yep. Mm-hmm. One thing I did want to point out is the localization for this game is fantastic. Yes. Um, it was started by Dan Ausen uh, and uh, finished by Marcos Lindblom, who did most of the work on it. And it perfectly captures Etoy's dry absurdity. And I think Nintendo of America knew that communicating his sense of humor was so important to making this game work that they really tried to make this localization matter. There are still typos. There are still weird inconsistencies, but you could not ask for a better localization in 1995. And yes, I'm looking at you working designs. This is much better than what you've done. <laughs> but that's because they're, instead of just rewriting things arbitrarily or like, my idea is better, they thought really hard, like, what is the best way to translate this idea yeah. into English? And I'm not going to go through all the examples. If you go to the Legends of Localization website, the guy behind it did a comparison for everything, item names, place names, how jokes were changed. Um, and he's making a book uh, based on that hopefully sometime this year. And he did the, Buy that book. Yes, buy that buy book. Buy that book. <laughs> uh, I, I actually interviewed him on an episode of Retronauts Micro, Micro. His name is Clyde Mandolin and his wife Heidi Mandolin. They both do Legends of Localization. But um, again, this localization is great. I still think it's fun. It's funny. And uh, do you guys ha- – are, are you guys on the same page with me in terms of just how no. this localization works? <laughs> Not <down>? at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> Listen, localization <laughs> is censorship. That's right, yeah. That's what I learned. It should have been not pencil eraser. It should have been whatever octopus pun would yeah. work yeah. in English. And that should have been naked in Magic Hand. Exactly, yeah. Ness, Ness, I wanted to see that pixelated butt. Pixelated yeah. boy butt. I think it's like it, reading interviews with Marcus Lindblom are really fascinating. And, and he talks about subtext with like um, uh, Jeff and Tony and things like that where like he did want to – 
imply certain things in, in various parts of the game. Like he That's did true, yeah. want to have you read more into it than what's on the page. I, I do like Etoy's way of thinking where it's like, uh, yeah, this character's gay. Yeah, he's yeah. gay. Yeah. Whatever. And like uh, in Mother 3, there's Duster and he's like, he's, he has disability. It's like, well, why? It's like, well, people in the real world have disabilities. Why shouldn't a, per- a person in a game have one? And I was like, that's that's really heartwarming and touching. Just like, please be part of my game person I see every day. Not yep. just like, these are all able-bodied white men who will be <laughs> in my party. It's like, there's a princess. There's a guy with a, with a limp. Uh, there's a, a kid who's mom. It's like, it's crazy. I, I love the way he thinks. Yeah. Um, but Earthbound was reviewed poorly. And this really shows that... Um, Please don't get worked up about reviews. That's my general way of thinking. Reviews are tied to a specific window in time, and they never age well. Yes. But this is horseshit. Yes, this is horseshit, (laughs) Uh, especially because I love this game so much. And it just broke my heart that every magazine was like, well, this is the era in which games are getting edgy. Games are getting photorealistic. We are choosing our Twisted Metal players. We're being total badasses. Do I have to play this weird, like, colorful kitty RPG that looks kind of bland and plain? Eh, what are they even doing? This is too silly and it weird. It looks like an NES game. Yeah, exactly. Motherfucker, look at it. Yeah. <laughs> it, Jesus. I, I think they're like, oh, this this game is, like, from the past. Games are just going to be all, like, ha- like hardcore photorealistic violence and pit fighting and things like that. Pit fighting. And, <laughs> and again... Uh, a review is tied to the the cultural expectations of the moment it was written. So yeah, you can go back yeah. to reviews from two years ago, be like, this game has fantastic graphics, and it plays great. It's like, well, that game sucked, and I hated it, and it's like a 3 out of 10. So people did not like this game, and it only took uh, the insane, and I mean that in a loving way because I'm one of these ins- ins- insaniacs. Uh, <laughs> one of, uh, it took the insane cult phenomenon of the Earthbound fandom to bring this game to the light of the public, of the general public, and uh, Andrew, you wanted to talk about this. You, you you said to make sure you bring to bring this up. And what do you think about the Earthbound fans? They seem to be the most well-adjusted uh, <laughs> video game psychopaths. I, and this is I'm I'm one of these people, so I'm not making yeah. fun of them. But they are so devoted to proselytizing and and trying to get Nintendo to pay attention to them, which they never have. Nintendo has like never really acknowledged these people, but Etoy has. Yep, he has. Yeah. And it's funny how many of them. I mean, you mentioned Clyde. Clyde and Reed founded Starman.net, which is uh, kind of the hub of all these fans. And the first yeah, and that uh, that I formed a uh, yeah. fan gamer after that as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. They who were selling that Legends of Localization book. Uh, Coincidentally enough. But yeah, I mean, like, it's just such a good group of people who their entire lives are earthbound. I mean, it's like Reed met his wife through Earthbound and, yeah. and, and Clyde. And I mean, those guys have gone on to make careers out of it. And I think the, the fandom as a whole, they, you know, really pushed and pushed and pushed. They did petitions for Earthbound 64. They did petitions for Now Mother 3. Like, they've pushed so hard for going on 20 years. And mm-hmm. I think it, it kind of worked. Uh, you know, I mean, if nothing else, we have Ness in a few Smash Brothers games. We have multiple North American ways to play Earthbound legally and for retail price. You know, yeah. like, it, they have made progress. And I think it's, uh, I don't know, I don't think anyone saw that coming even five years ago. That idea about pushing uh, for so long but not being like, I'm going to stand with a samurai sword outside of Noah until they acknowledge <laughs> yes. it. Like, that sort yeah. of thing. I'm like, going to find out where your family lives and right. I'll tell people yeah, if they I'm don't gonna, release this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, but it's just like, it's this firm kind of, we just really like this, please. I'm going to keep asking. It is part of like the the warm-hearted spirit of yes. of the games that yeah. these people um, these people have themselves. I think in terms of how they how they address this game, how they try to push it on people. And I, Ray, weren't you working at One Up when they were sending around that like giant Mother Three binder, like release Mother Three in the states when that first came out in like 2006? Uh, yeah, yeah. Jeremy got that and they okay. sent it to him, and so. Uh... 
Yeah. And it's all that a bit. It has so much like fan art and music and that community is just really creative. I don't know, it's it's the most devoted community to a game that largely hasn't been relevant for 20 years. Exactly. Yeah. And Again, they were just like, Nintendo won't pay attention to us. We'll make our own Earthbound merchandise. It'll be better than anything you could make. Yep. I'm not saying they said that. I just I just believe that because all of their products are so much better than what anyone else is making. Yep. Well, and that's why it's so weird now going to a GameStop and seeing a Ness Amiibo or yeah. walking to a Walmart and seeing a Lucas Amiibo. Like, the fact that that merchandise exists now is just crazy. I feel like I should buy every Lucas Amiibo I see in the store <laughs> on general principle. Like, yeah, just ask the, ask the cashier, do you know who this is? <laughs> <laughs> every day. And then, and then Mike, it's Wednesday. Pull out your Mother 3 binder and sit down with it. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I must say, again, they make our T-shirts so collusion, but who cares? But uh, the reason that I love Fangamer and um, I have them do our T-shirts, they make great stuff, but I, I also have always loved them before they were Fangamer. I was mm-hmm. on Starman.net uh, back when it was Earthbound.net, and uh, it was like, other people like this game? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would pass this game around to friends and they would like it, but it seemed like everybody trashed this game in the press just because, like, games have grown up and <laughs> we put this behind us. And, like, yeah, it really annoyed me. And it made me really hate some game reviewers, but it was before I could write on a message board, so I was helpless. I was helpless. There was no Reddit. All I could do was go outside and have a nice day. Exactly. (laughs) I just had to forget about my problems. Um, So, uh, is there anything you want to mention before I mention the ending? And we maybe have to have like a few minutes about Mother Three. Anything else about this game? Any kind of moments you like the most? Any uh, anything in particular? I still get uh, a little little misty-eyed every time I see Tessie come out of the water in that theme song yeah. plays. Yeah. It's just great. It's, it's great. It hardly yeah. has anything to do with anything, but it's just like, here comes Tessie. Yeah. Nice. I still uh, I love the moment uh, right before you go to Magic Cant when you finally get the eighth melody, and it has this weird, like, a sepia-toned flashback in Ness's house of, like, him yeah. in the crib, and it's just such uh, a sweet moment. I'm getting goosebumps with you just saying these things. <laughs> uh, that's how attached I am to this game. Ray, how about you? Uh, I like the, the, the Runaway 5 bus trip, you know? That's it's, great. It's like I said, it's like one of those road movie moments where, like, oh, you're going to hang out with us for a while now. I like how there are a few like little visual jokes about how they're bad drivers too. They're like, yeah, running yeah. over sidewalks and yeah. stuff like that. Um, this this actually goes to the ending. My, my favorite moment of the game, there's so many. I talked about Dungeon Man and um, the zombies and stuff like that. My favorite moment, I think, the one that just like really just gives me goosebumps is the the ending credit rule when the music hits a crescendo and then you hear Itoy say, I'm, I'll, I'll miss you or I miss you. Like he already wants you to be, come back to the world. And it was just like... I didn't even know it was Etoy, just a strange disembodied voice that just pops up in the middle of the song. And it's just like, wow, that, that is just very touching and strange. Mm. Um, but I do want to talk about the ending. And I feel it's, it's one of those revolutionary RPG things that no one else does. Uh, very few uh, games do. Where it's like the reward for beating the game is not just the, the, to hear a new song, not just to see maybe a little epilogue. But it's like, no, go back to every town talk to every person. They will have something new to say. They will have something new to tell you, including if you go to the drugstore in Onet, uh, you can meet Rafini the dog, who is possessed by the spirit of the game developer. And he says, uh, please write to Nintendo, care of Rafini the dog, and tell them you want Earthbound 2. And I did that. And I actually, I got a form letter back, a very nice one, saying, we don't have plans for uh, Earthbound 2 right now. Thanks so much for writing. I think I got like a free sticker or something in the mail for them. Nice. But uh, if you wrote into Rafini at the time, you would get a, at least a form response back, which is very cute. Hmm. But again, you could Everybody had new dialogue. 
And it was very rewarding. Like, you could talk to uh, Frankie, the first boss who's now working at the burger joint. He's, <laughs> he's reformed himself. Like, everyone, you, every, every ass you kicked is now a reformed ass, <laughs> basically. Uh, and it just blew my mind. Like, wow, I, I, have, I, have to, I have two more hours of the game to play, essentially, after I beat uh, Gigas. And I guess that, that's another thing we should mention, too. The final battle is kind of stolen from Final Fantasy IV, in which um, you use this one command a bunch of times to basically end the battle. But it is very uh, – now that I know about Lovecraft – and what that kind of feeling they're trying to evoke is, um, it is a very Lovecraftian boss. It's like you don't you don't have the power to comprehend what's what the yeah. attack is. Roll for sanity. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, we also have Pokey, who is the uh, the annoying neighbor kid, who eventually becomes the 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 great evil sidekick. It's such a weird choice, but I love it. And Pokey Pokey does come back in Mother Three, which I want to talk about for a few minutes because I do want a Mother Three episode once I can get more than a couple people who have actually played it. finished the game except for me yeah oh you have Grim. Okay. yeah so i've never finished it okay i always it's funny because on principle i was like i'm gonna wait till it's localized and i was like well i guess i'll start it and i was like well i'm 10 hours in and now i'm like i'm really you've had you've had eight years sir please yeah. that's your homework next time next time we talk it's gonna be about mother three yeah yeah but uh again mother three is a fantastic game i think it is in terms of being a video game not in terms of storytelling or jokes or emotional feelings it will give you it is it is the best video game of the series mm. in terms of how it plays um it's strange to me though that it has the most focused story it is about a town yeah. more than it is about any characters and it is a very like Kurt Vonnegut slash uh, Hayao Miyazaki story about the corrupting power of capitalism versus nature in which yep. it's a very it's very on the nose this is not me reading into no. it with my English degrees <laughs> yeah. it is super on the nose and sometimes a, li- a little bit of uh, an annoying way but it's just like what happens when a a gift uh, a gift currency society or maybe a barter currency economy what happens when we introduce uh, money capitalism uh-huh. television and it destroys them it, it is it is a very depressing game because as this town becomes quote unquote more civilized more uh, maybe even more western mm-hmm. everyone loses their soul everyone just becomes a greedy capitalist yep and it's, it's like, a much angrier sadder game than it is too. Yeah, I think it's I wish I knew the name of the Japanese novel it's based on a very dark dystopian Japanese novel like uh, Itoi read it and he was oh, like this um, is great I think it's Hungarian. Oh, I actually Hungarian. read it like two months ago. Oh, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so is The it, Notebook, The Proof, and The Third Lie. It's oh, like wow. three novellas. Yeah, Agata Kristoff, I think is her name. Is it? Uh, I assume it's much darker than Mother 3. Uh, yes, it's much, it's kind of hard to read at times, but wow. yeah. Yeah, Mother 3 is full of tragedy. Um, it is, um, but again, it's full of uh, beautiful moments too, and the mm-hmm. battle system is great, and I feel like... Um, Many things, I'm saying this as a former and failed academic, many things can be viewed through a Marxist lens like Animal Crossing. You can make your jokes about that, how it's like it shows you how capitalism is like kind of cruel. But this game is a Marxist RPG. It is. It takes a very Marxist perspective, which is something like when I played this game, I was like, I was not expecting this at all, this message. But I, I like this is the only thing I play that does this. It's very strange. Yeah. Technology versus nature and everything there, too, where it's just yeah. it's completely unambivalent about how it feels about those things. Yeah, even the logo is, like, made of wood with, like, like steel corrupting yeah. the logo. Yeah, like, yeah. they're incompatible. Like, yeah. they're two materials that are... I think that's why he said that's why that was in the logo, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, like, you know, 
Pokey comes back and he runs a megalopolis and it's filled with sad, depressing, horrible people yes. under a fascist pigman state. And you're just <laughs> like, there it is. <laughs> it's, <laughs> a fan- it's a fantastic game. And I don't know when this episode will be coming out. Hopefully Nintendo is now desperate enough to actually want to release it in some capacity. When I re- they release one, I mean, that was, they yeah, have to. They I totally have agree. to. <laughs> I, think, I think we'll see it. it. It's also that weird thing where like, God, when you talk about the development history of Mother 2, Mother 3 is just as fascinating. Yeah. The saga of Earthbound 64 and where those discs are now is like mm. the white whale of stories I want to tell. For sure, yeah. And and it could have even been an SNES game at some point. I heard it's the start of development on the SNES then moved to the 64 disk drive and then finally it became a Game Boy Advance game but the funny thing is if you look at screenshots from the N64 version the dialogue is the same it's telling the same story but with different parts yeah, I and mean, you can recognize, like, obviously Flint is there. Yeah, and you recognize and Bony, areas yeah. and the roller coaster and stuff or the minecart. Yeah. Ray, have you, I mean, what do you think about Mother 3? I haven't heard much from you about this game. Are you interested in it or? Uh... <laughs> yes, I am interested. Okay, I'm interested <laughs> in this. <laughs> uh, I've not really played it much, though. Oh, I totally recommend it, Ray. I, I'm waiting I, for all those rumors to come true. And yeah. I'll just be able to buy it for 10 bucks. I actually, it has to be the year. I, I hope so. I mean, this could be the Wii U's one game this fall, maybe. <laughs> that's, 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 <laughs> yeah. that's the Earthbound fans reprise right there. It has to be this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please tell me it's this <laughs> and uh, again, uh, we talked about Fan Gamer, and they're great. And um, I played through this game uh, as soon as it was released, uh, the fan translation, October of two, uh, 2008. That's right. And I've been holding off on playing it again until I know it's going to be coming out for Wii U because I do want to play it and buy it. But they released a uh, strategy guide mm-hmm. that looks just like the Mother 2 slash Earthbound strategy right. guide in yeah. the same awesome. style. It's a travel log. They made clay models for almost every character and enemy. That was the first thing I ever bought from Fan Gamer. And like, oh. it, it came with like uh-huh. a little hand drawing and everything. And oh I was my like, God. Yeah, this is great. Mine came with a, uh, I got the Franklin badge. I pre-ordered yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I saw the Franklin badge on my uh, keychain. Never been struck by lightning, folks. So I can't. I haven't been able to test it out. But yeah, if, if you want to play Mother 3, definitely head over to fangamer.net and get that guide. Bob, it, where do I collect the Fangamer check? Well, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> not, not on the air. Uh, not on the air, please. Uh, no, I mean, you don't need a guide to play the game. In fact, the guide wasn't finished until like four months after the fan translation came out. But it is like a great companion piece that really like lets you in on the world and the characters and things like that. Because the, the game is about the how a town changes and there's like 20 characters in the town and every time you revisit the town something new is happening some somebody has done something terrible yeah. the, the old people are shoved further back into God, the yeah. into the closet uh, it's a very depressing game but I recommend you play it because uh, I think I think the tagline is like you'll cry like this game will make you cry <laughs> and your older sister yes and she'll cry too <laughs> just get her in the room but in a sad way <laughs> so uh, yeah exactly uh, it's, it's like an onion so um can we recommend I, this? This goes without saying, but can we recommend this to people who maybe have never played it ever before? I mean, it is an older style of game, but I think just the mm. the sheer variety of the things you're doing can help you rise above some of those lower, grindier moments. Uh, Ray, you sound you sound like you're you're mulling it over. What do you think? No, yeah, that's kind of a loaded question for me. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I think. I can't remove myself from it is being gr- the kid excited about Earthbound like 23 years ago. Yeah, so exactly. It's hard to say. Yeah, and I'm trying to. So <laughs> what's, I don't know. I don't really know how to put. It. I think yeah, like you said, it's kind of grindy, and maybe some people who go back to it might not like that and get sick of it. Um, but it's 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 in the canon. It's part of that. It's one of those top. Uh, Super NES RPGs it's like it's going to be up there with Chrono Trigger and everything else and I think uh, it's one of those things you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't miss yeah even if you're and, unsure I think it's worth it just to see like why does everybody care you know right, like, just right. to figure yep. it out it, at least for like novelty sake yeah 
Exactly. And like and like we've uh, touched on, like, yeah, there have been some modern-day-ish RPGs out there, but it's usually like, you know, Megami Tensei-type stuff where it's still like... You still have a sword. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You're still mm, fighting... Yeah. You're not fighting cops and hippies and cars and fire hydrants. You're fighting right. just demons. Yeah. Jack Frost it, again. Yeah. <laughs> He's back. And yeah, now, now it's like, you know, every... Every third uh, JRPG comes out set in Tokyo. It's like, oh, true, yeah. yeah, yeah, you like the Shibuya 109 building? Here you go again. <laughs> it's like I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I think there's <laughs> something a little bit fresher and see where it actually uh, came from, that sort of style and uh, approach. I think, yeah, hmm. it's worth going back to. Uh, what do you think, Andrew? Should, do, you, do you recommend this game to people uh, today? Maybe someone who's never played an older JRPG or anything like this? It's weird because I since the Wii U release and now more recently the 3DS release that's literally what I've been doing is, is trying to tell my friends like hey that game I never shut up about you can finally play it and it's <laughs> it's kind of anecdotally it's really interesting that like one in every five people like sees it through and loves it but it, it there is it is definitely kind of a, an uphill battle like yeah, I, I, I can tell there's like the people who can't get past Frank and then the people who won't get past Paula and then the people who get right up they're about to get poo and then they stop and then there are the people who finish it and it is definitely uh I think it's accessible in terms of, yeah, the setting and everyone can understand what's going on. But, yeah, it is definitely uh, a product of its time. It's it's a little grindier. Um, but I think Ray nailed it in that if you're interested in that era, like if you're talking about Final Fantasy VI, if you're talking about Chrono Trigger, you should be talking about Earthbound. I think it's it's definitely one of those big players from the SNES era. Michael, what do you think about uh, recommending Earthbound to people? I think it's tough. Uh, my suggestion would be uh, buy it and then maybe watch a Let's Play. Mm. Like, <laughs> it's a game where you could probably cut out some of the combat. That's the ethical way to do things. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, I think I, if you're one of those people uh, and there are some people out there who are like, that's like, no, I got to play the first one before I play the second one. You don't have to play the first one. Yeah. That's something you maybe you maybe again, buy the game watch a Let's Play or buy the game and then do what I did and get the emulated version with the easy patch. And I would even say not even just you don't have to, don't. Yeah. Like you should start with Mother 2. If Yeah, if you're that curious, uh, don't play it at all, jump to Mother 2, maybe yeah. go back to Mother 1 if you want to see like, oh, there's, these are where all these songs came from and this is where, yeah, you know, I, this happened. I think Mother 1 is kind of like the uh, Wes Anderson short film that became the full movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. is, that, is that Bottle Rocket? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. That, that's a great analogy. We can end with that. Thank you, Ray. That, that was very <laughs> You're <succinct>. welcome. <laughs> so uh, all, all of our promo info for the show is part of the commercial break. Thanks for listening to it because I know you did. But you can find me on the internet as Bob Servo. I also write for Something Awful and US Gamer. Go to somethingawful.com, usgamer.net, and check out my other podcast, Talking Simpsons. It's the Laser Time Podcast Network's chronological exploration of The Simpsons. We should be towards the end or middle of season three by this point. It's a great, fantastic show. I'm so proud of it. Please check it out, Laser Time Podcast podcast.com. Everybody else, Ray, where can we find you? Oh, gee. Well, yeah, I don't have much else to promote, really, except my other podcast called No More Whoppers. I talk with my friend Alex on that. He lives in Japan, so we talk about Japan and stuff, but we mostly just uh, get mad at each other, so it's fun. <laughs> it's a fun kind of uh, anger, right? Yep. And it's productive. No more whoppers.tumblr.com. Cool. Michael, where can we find you? Do you have anything uh, you want to do public-facing? I don't know if you... There's have nothing a really. Or anything. Eh, not really. You don't I'm, have our disease. <laughs> <laughs> not much of a self promoter. I don't know. At um, SudoBread on Twitter is cool. really where I spend most of my you time. You make some funny tweets. That's a, that's a big accolade thing. I need more <laughs> affirmation than just strangers reading my tweets. I need strangers reading everything I do. <laughs> yeah. I have problems. Andrew. Uh, I'm Garfep on Twitter, uh, and you can find me on IGN. I'm on our PlayStation podcast, Podcast Beyond, and then I'm usually just unboxing JRPGs in videos and talking about them in articles. Please don't unbox on Earthbound, though. Yeah, I'm going to bring down the value <laughs> precipitously. We'll be back with a brand new episode of Retronauts Micro next week. See you later.